0: The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Thank you, Dan. That's very nice. How is everybody this morning? My name is Katie Griffin. (laughs) I'm the pastor of family children's ministry and missions ministry here at Highlands Church. And uh, it's been a great morning so far. I did enjoy that extra hour, as everybody has said. that was I was up early, and I found myself going, what do I do now? I'm usually late, so it was great to be here and um, to uh, get here. I have some extra time. And also, I was wanting to just ask a special favor. I forgot to mention this last service. Uh, on Tuesday, I'm leaving for the Dominican Republic on a missions trip. And I would, I would really love your prayers for myself, for the travels there, and for my family back here at home without their mom for a week. So uh, if you could remember me and your thoughts and prayers, I'd really appreciate it. And I'll give you an update when I get back. It's going to be incredible. I know. So I wanted to share this morning with you about a story in the Bible that I believe that shows us today how God never gives up on us, and how He is actively pursuing us, no matter what we've done, no matter our sins, our mistakes or things that we've done in the past or things that we've done, that He is always committed to chasing after us. that Jesus is our mediator, and in Him we are redeemed. By his love, by his love that sets us free. And so he sets us free from our sins, but we're not perfect, are we? (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) It is so beautiful for people to know that we make mistakes and how it is through his love that we are changed. Now, here at Highlands, we like to say this we like to say, no perfect people allowed. I love this phrase. And it is core to our mission here. Why? Why you might have, why do you love this phrase, Katie? <laughs> why? Because praise God that we are far from perfect, which allows us to give him all the glory because of his perfection. Now, like today, I was going to take a look, and we're going to go through the, um, how really the book of Acts, there's another one in the book of Acts chapter 9, But we're going to take a look how God actively pursues, and how he pursued this one, and in this one, the world would say this, the world would say, why him? But he's, but it's God, and God said, yes, him, and so God actively pursued Saul, And so if you like, you can turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. And we're going to take a long look this morning, and we're going to go through all those verses 1 through 18. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible today. We want to make sure that nobody here um, doesn't live without a Bible or doesn't have one in their possession. So if you see one of us staff after church, we'd love to grab you one. Okay, so chapter 9, verse 1 through 18, reads like this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. You see, Saul did not know Jesus. He knew of the name of Jesus. And Saul made it his life purpose, his mission, really, to find those who follow Jesus and arrest them. What we do know of Saul, we know this, that Saul was from Tarsus. He was a Jew, born into Roman citizenship. He was also a Pharisee. And like I, when I'm explaining Pharisees to the children, I say this is a, a, a highly religious person. He, um, Saul also studied under one of the most famous rabbis at the time. He studied under Rabbi Gamaliel. Rabbi, Rabbi Gamaliel was actually the head of the Sanhedrin. So he was a very powerful person. Headed all of the all of the um, Pharisees. Saul also is, is interesting. Saul had witnessed the stoning of Stephen. And if you remember earlier in the book of Acts, we talked about Stephen. And how right after Peter gave that great and awesome sermon, after the Holy Spirit fell upon the church... And then Peter gave that sermon. Then Stephen became a believer. And then from then Stephen was our first go out missionary. If you would like to say. Out and spreading the word of Jesus Christ. And he ended up being the first martyr of the church also. And so here Saul not only um, was at the place where Stephen was being stoned. He actually accused Stephen of blasphemy. Remember. Saul knows the law. He knows the Old Testament law. He was a studied, he was very studied, he was proficient. He knew God, but he didn't want this Jesus character. And so he was blasphemy, blasphemy in the face of Stephen. And it actually says, we know that on the day that he was stoned, that Stephen was being stoned, that Saul was there holding the coats of those who were doing the stoning. And so now he, Saul, was set to head out onto his journey to the road to to Damascus. And as verse 2 continues, he went to the high priest before he left. And he went to the high priest and he asked the high priest for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found anyone there, who belonged to the way. Now, the, the word the way was the name of the early church in the New Testament, sort of like a new church development, like Highlands here in Pastor Omos. It was the new church. It was called the way. And so he had permission from the high priest to arrest anyone that was found to be following this character named Jesus. And so he was set to go back, and he had been, so he was set to go and find these, go into the synagogues, arrest the people, and bring them back to the high priests. But you see, what Saul did not know is that these very men and women from the way that he sought to persecute were to be those that whom Saul would learn from later. So he continued on his journey. And when he was near Damascus, It goes on to say, um, suddenly a flashing light from heaven flashed all around him. Now, when I was reading this this week and preparing for the sermon, I thought, oh my goodness, what would that look like? A shining light from heaven flashing all around you? I'm not just talking about turn on a flashlight. (laughs) So, <laughs> you know, it was a flashing light from heaven. I know you've guys have seen like sort of like strobe lights. You've got it in like here at Highlands right now, these lights are pretty bright, you know. Uh, but um, then I started probably thinking about this a little bit too much. And I'm like, okay, well, what would be equal to a shining light from heaven, Katie? And, so, <laughs> and I thought, you know, when you go to the optometrist or the ophthalmologist's office, okay, well, there's a couple things in those offices that can make you shiny lights, and they come up really close, and they're peering into you like okay, oh, you're a little close for comfort. But anyways, that was all off the subject. But anyways, so that's a shiny light right onto your retina. But then they put these drops into your eyes, right? And these these drops in your eyes, and they dilate your lens, right? Or your pupil. And so your pupil is fixated, right? And then they give you those funky glasses, and then off and then I said, don't you gotta wear these when you and good luck driving. And so you head out into the out. the office and you put these and then it's as if it's as if I was trying to imagine. So you got your eyes outlight and you're walking out of the office and someone meets you with one of those big old lights like you see flashing in the skies at night. Boom that would be what a flashing light from heaven was like. (laughs) Okay, might have went a little crazy there, but okay, all right. (sighs) All right. Verse four it continues like this. He fell to the ground, Saul And he fell straight to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When Saul heard this, his reply was this, Who are you, Lord? Remember, Saul did not know who Jesus was. He knew of him. He knew that he wanted nothing more to do than persecute all the Christians, than breathe out murderous threats against them. But he's like, Who? And so right here, I think it's interesting because right here, Jesus replies back and he says this. Hey, Saul, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And now we see Christ seeking after Saul. This is an important turning point in this whole passage here. You see, because Saul was intently focused, but his focus was on the wrong thing. Christ had to get his attention before he could do anything else with Saul. And he literally brought him to his knees. How many times God's tried to get your attention and he's brought you to your knees? I was up here on Friday on my knees. Verse 6 continues with this. Jesus speaking back to Saul and he says this. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Then the man traveling, the men that were traveling with Saul stood there, and they stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing, anything. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. This once powerful man. This man who was the high study of all the the Pharisees and was just, you know, I can't even think of a word of how, you know, is so dependent now having been to be led by his hand by his fellow friends. For three days it says in the word that he was blind. He did not have anything to eat or drink. Now, if you pardon me for a second here, I'm going to go into why I think Saul was blinded. Saul was blinded by the light. The men traveling with him could confirm it. They knew something had happened. Whatever it was, it made him, them, each of them speechless. They heard it all, but didn't see anyone. Saul was blinded, and his men were helping him. He had to be led... Back, back by his, with his hand, back to Damascus. Jesus blinded him physically to let him know that he was spiritually blind too. Christ blinded him. He was blinded because he wasn't seeing the truth. He was blinded to let him know he wasn't seeing God. He was blinded because he wasn't seeing the way to God. He was blinded because he wasn't seeing the point of God. He was blinded because he wasn't seeing the scriptures. He might have memorized them. He might have known them from the back of his hand. He might have studied under the the best guys, the best rabbis there might be, but he didn't know them. He was blinded because he wasn't seeing what God wanted him to do with his life. Thank you for my rant there. (laughs) I wonder if Saul, in those three days, now, had time to be still before God. You see, because God has a redemptive plan for him. Saul was not unreachable. We're not unreachable. And it goes on to say this. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! And I love this. And Ananias didn't go, huh, what? Who just woke me up? What's going on here? And Ananias says, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house on Judas on Straight Street. And then we kind of laughed about this in staff on Tuesday. We're like, Straight Street? Why didn't he call it Cricket Street? Why didn't he call it this street? <laughs> we couldn't figure, none of us scholars could figure out Straight Street there. <laughs> it goes on to say and ask a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight Lord Ananias answered I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people and to the Saints in Jerusalem And he has come here with authority from the high priests to arrest all who call on your name. Come on. So Ananias is just there enjoying his day going along in Damascus. And I tell you, what we do know about Ananias is that he was a faithful disciple. That he was attentive to the Lord's voice. Obviously, we just heard that. That he was well-liked and respected by his peers. That he, too, also knows the law and keeps it. That he lives somewhere near, outside of the holy city there, the holy land, and is familiar with Gentiles and Jews alike. And this is interesting. This is the only time that we've ever heard about Ananias in the entire Bible. So you've got to put yourself in Ananias' shoes here. And you start to think, he's like... I've done nothing wrong. I've done nothing more than just follow you, Lord Jesus Christ. Me? Do you really know how bad Saul is? Could we fix somebody else, Lord? (laughs) You ever had a calling or someone God, Lord, spoke to your life and you're just like, uh uh. No, Lord. Somebody else. Choose somebody. I'm fine. But really, it's interesting. We go on to verse 15 now. And verse 15 says this. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Simple. One word. Go. Those times when God's calling us to do something in our life. His word is simple. Go. But, but here God gives him just a little bit more he goes on to explain why he's saying go to Ananias. I love this about the Lord. He says this to Ananias. He said, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings. And before all the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So then, Ananias. And I've got to imagine Ananias at this point. You could go ahead, put yourselves back in Ananias' shoes. He's obedient, and so he goes back, and he's probably shaken. He's going to walk up to Saul. He's heard all these stories. He's a murderer. He does nothing. He'll hold your coat while you're being killed. I mean, you know what I mean? And so his hands are probably shaken, and he goes up, and he places, the word says he places his hands on Saul. He comes near and touches him. And then it's interesting what he says to Saul. He goes on and he says this. He says, "Brother Saul," blows my mind. Here, you would think with his hand shaking and knowing all the things about Saul that he does know about, that Ananias at this point would say, "You know, hey Saul, yeah, okay, God brought me here. I mean, you know, He brought me here, and you're healed. Okay, see you later, bye-bye," <laughs> and off I go. But he doesn't. He gives him a term of endearment here. He says to him, "Brother." That means you're included in our family. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias was obedient. He was faithful. Because why? Because Ananias knew the Redeemer. He knew Jesus Christ. He knew of his redeeming love for him. So, how much more was he wanting to give it to someone else? Especially Saul. So, it goes on in verse 18, which is incredible. And it says, immediately something like scales. Could you? That just sounds weird, but it's there. <laughs> it was like immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized. I don't want to miss the fact that he was baptized here, because when, when we see that, what do we know? We know this has been now a total conversion. He has been redeemed. And after taking some food, it goes on, he had some food, he regained his strength. The conversion of Saul was very dramatic. Christ took a man. To a man there that was determined to stamp out Christianity. And he turned him into a warrior for Christianity. The man, once known as Saul, who we've been talking about. The persecutor of Christians. The one that sought with everything in his whole being to arrest Every single person that had anything to do with the church of the way. That Saul became Paul. A disciple of the Lord. And if you keep on reading on in your Bible, past Acts and to all the other books, you'll read a lot of Paul's writings. And Paul became the most powerful evangelist for the Lord Jesus Christ. This story is a story that should give each and every one of us here in this room hope. Hope that is unending. Because why? Your sins, my sins, are not unredeemable. We are not so bad that we cannot be turned into an emblem of good. God redeems us. He not only redeems us but remember he sought after Saul no matter what you have done in the past no matter what you think what the enemy is lying to you about God is a redeeming God you are not unlovable you're not untouchable you're not unapproachable none of those things God's love for us is redemptive it redeems the Greek word for redemption means this to be released from bondage yeah I don't want to be in bondage I don't want to be tied up I want to be free it also another part of the word means in another form of it means to be loosed so what does redemption mean to you when you hear the word redemption does it sound foreign as I was studying, doing this this week, I thought, what a, you know, how can I put this into words? Redemption, I know in our society today, I've heard redemption, and I thought, ah! Actually, my husband helped me with this, so I can't take all the credit. But, um, <laughs> and uh, he's like, and we're talking, we're like, you know when you get a coupon? And you get a coupon in the mail or whatever, you know, you might just pick one up at a store. Well, a coupon, it's already been paid for, right? It's all paid for. You didn't have to pay for the coupon. Your coupon is there. All you have to do now with the coupon is what? Yeah. Turn it in. Redeem it. It was absolutely free to you. He was purchased. Jesus Christ purchased. Not he was purchased. Jesus Christ purchased our freedom for a price. It was his blood on that cross at Calvary. As we are told in John 8, 26, it says this, we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are set free. We are loosened. We are released from bondage, from the power of sin. God wants to change us. He seeks out after us. Now, another thing, too, we could learn from this is that most of, our, most of us consider ourselves intelligent people. For me, that's some days. <laughs> some days, some days not. Um, so let me ask you this question. So if that is true, why do we fight against someone that is more intelligent and much more powerful than we Saul did it. Remember, Saul was really intelligent. He could quote anything from the Old Testament. He knew his law and he knew how to keep his law. But what he didn't know, he didn't know Jesus Christ. He didn't know that he was in bondage, that he needed to be loosed. I love this Scripture, the scripture that says this, that God says this, He says, "I stand at the door and I knock." I'm teaching the Alpha course right now, and in the Alpha course, they showed us a picture of this artist that painted this scripture, and it was Jesus Christ at this door, and there was all these vines all around it. It It's just a gorgeous painting, and Jesus Christ is standing at this door, and He was holding this little lantern of light. Because I always just imagine light with Christ. And so he's standing there with light. And I looked at the door. And he's getting ready to knock on the door. But interesting in this painting on the door, there is no doorknob. You see, because Christ never forces his way in. He never opens the door like this. You know where the doorknob was located? On the inside of the door. Because Christ, he just... He just stands at the door and he knocks. And he waits for us. He has redeemed us already by his blood. He will never push his way into the door. He's a polite, gentle, loving God. It is our choice to open the door from the inside. And I think another thing that we can learn from this too is that just as Saul did, we need to immerse ourselves in prayer and let the one true light penetrate the darkest recesses of our mind and our soul. Remember, he prayed for those three days that he was blinded. We needed to hear, we all need to hear the voice of God to lead us, to empower us, to let us hear that we have never, ever been unloved. He has and he will pursue you with an unending pursuit. As my prayer today, that you know, deeply know, of God's redeeming love for each one of you. That when he died on that cross in Calvary, that he purchased is the coupon, as silly as it may be, your freedom, And so I pray that he will touch our eyes to give us sight. That he will bathe us in his light and guide us on our journey. And just as Ananias, let's not forget that important part of what we learned today about Ananias also. That we will be willingly... Willingly, just as, as Ananias was willingly went where the Lord directed him, so too must we, wherever the Lord is directing us to go, that we will be obedient. That the world tells us that, that the Word tells us that we, do, that we all fall short of the glory of God. There is not one of us in here that does not need to be redeemed. No matter what you've done in your past, nothing is too great for God. Jesus radically, radically, radically pursues us to show us of his redeeming love. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for each and every soul in this room that they do not walk out of these doors here this morning without knowing how much they are loved. How much that you paid the price for them. How much that we can learn from Saul. And if Saul was brought to his knees, sometimes we just need to get on our knees. Sometimes we might learn from Ananias here this morning is how we just want to hear you, Lord. And be obedient to you and to follow your direction in our life. Lord, we love you very much. You are an awesome God. And may our lives reflect you. In Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.